morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to church. So glad you made it. Man, what a great time of worship. Can we give it up for our worship team this morning? Come on, taking that first step, leading us in worship. Great to be adding musicians to our team and doing a weekly rehearsal. Just an honor uh, to grow with people in the things of God. Well, hey, if you're new here, welcome to Gospel on behalf of my wife and our whole lead team and, and our dream team, what we call them. We want to take a second and say hi. So hello. <laughs> Uh, so glad that you took some time to come and join with us on this Sunday morning. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor alongside my wife. And um, so it's, an, it's just a great feeling to be in the presence of other believers and sing these songs. Um, you know, when we come together to sing songs, we're not just singing songs. We're, we're saying things that we believe to be true. And we're hoping that in saying them, they shape the way we think and the way we act. And sometimes people think worship is something you should want to do. Like, oh, I should want to sing. And if I always wanted to worship, I wouldn't worship a lot. But for some reason, worship is an act that prompts a feeling. And so we choose to worship, we choose to, to honor him, and it's just a great, great thing to be here. I'm excited to preach today. Um, you know, if you're new to our church community or you're new to a Christian setting, we believe that the Bible is the greatest thing that's ever existed. We believe that it's, it's a love letter. It's God's love letter to humanity. We believe it's more than just principles and more than things you can put on Facebook and more than arguments when you're talking politics you can use. And it's more than that. We believe that it is the way of life for us. And um, if you're new to Christianity, you're new to, to the Bible, we just want to say, you know, you're here. You're welcome. Uh, we don't have it all figured out. Someone say amen. One of our core values as a church is humility. And not too long ago, a kid asked me, he says, Pastor Billy, what is the, Revela what is the dragon in Revelation reference? I said, excuse me? He's like, Revelation chapter 12. He's like, what is that dragon reference to? I know you got to know. And I just said, I, I don't know. And he looked at me like I've never heard a pastor say that before. And I was like, I'm sorry. I believe that Jesus wants us to be people of humility that are okay with not knowing everything because we're seeking the one that does know everything. And I'm preaching already. I'm telling y'all, it's going to be something happening today. If you have your Bible, go to Nehemiah chapter one. And uh, enough with the introductions. I just got to jump into this word today. Um, we've, we're starting off a collection of messages framed around this character in scripture named Nehemiah. And uh, if you know the Bible, you know that Nehemiah was a guy that built a wall around the new temple of Jerusalem. The people of Israel had had their temple ransacked by the Babylonians. They, they desecrated everything that meant something to them. And the Bible says the people started rebuilding the temple. And then after the temple was built, Nehemiah built the wall to protect the temple. Can I grab you here for a second? Because it's one thing to build your life. It's another thing to build protection to make sure that nothing happens to your life. A lot of people think, oh, I went to church one time. That's enough for the temple in my life to be made right. And ultimately, we need to build our lives with a sense of ongoing growth, always looking to get better. And so we pick it up in Nehemiah chapter one. And uh, this is what the word of the Lord reads. Verse number four. It says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah has just heard that his hometown is in ruins. It would be like you going away to New York City for school or something, and then you heard Fredonia or Forestville or Dunkirk or wherever you're from, Brockton, whatever city you reside in. It would be like you hearing that your hometown has been desecrated. People came over, they took it over, they flipped the upside down. You know, no more Chavetta's chicken, that's for sure. That thing's gone. The Walmart has been ransacked. All the churches have been burned to the ground, and you're hearing about it. 
Nehemiah responds by saying, I sat down, I wept, and I mourned. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those that love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, for we have sinned against you, even my father's house and I have sinned. Verse four, one more time. It says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down, I wept, and I mourned for days. I wanna title this message today. I wanna to take something that Nehemiah went through. I wanna to try to help you today. I wanna to title this message, Bringing Balance to Your Soul. How to bring balance to your soul. Nehemiah did something so interesting. He got bad news, and the Bible says he responded by sitting down, crying, and praying. I wanna drill that into our hearts this morning. Father, would you help us today? Thank you for the spirit of revelation. Give us, our, give our eyes illumination that we would experience transformation. Lord, I pray anybody in the room today or anybody watching online that maybe just doesn't have a relationship with you, maybe sees church as too complicated, I pray you'd make this message simple enough to understand, but deep enough to change someone's life. We love you in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, would you say amen, amen, amen. Turn to someone and say, you need some balance. If they didn't smile at you, turn to somebody else and say, you need some balance too. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a confession to make this morning. Uh, contrary to popular belief, I am not an outdoor kind of guy. I don't consider myself an outdoorsman. I don't consider myself a handyman. I don't consider myself good with tools. I don't, I don't consider myself with any of that. I love to use illustrations about tools when I'm preaching, but I have no idea how to use some of them. And I just, it's not my thing. You know, I've been meeting more and more people that are like, I'm gonna teach you to be an outdoor guy. You know, I mean, we're gonna take you hunting or something like that. I'm like, uh, I get queasy just seeing dead animals, so I don't know. And they're looking at me like, what's wrong with you, you know? And so I'm not an outdoor man. Someone was talking to me recently about my car and they were telling me, you know, with your car, you need to make sure you do this and you need to make sure you do that. And I'm like, oh, okay, for sure. By the third thing, I had no idea what they were talking about. And so I asked them, I said, hey, I got a question. Like when I drive, like, like uh, my tires are really loud. And, and the guy said, well, that could be a, a variety of reasons. And they said, you know, your tires might be unbalanced. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, if your tires aren't balanced, it'll actually cause more sound as you're driving. And I said, well, that's interesting. What else does it do? He said, when your tires aren't balanced, you actually go through your tread quicker. It's faster wear on your tires. Um, there's a lot of vibration and, and you waste a lot more gas when your tires aren't balanced. And I thought, oh, ain't that funny? Wow, okay, so that's why I've been paying, you know, on an arm and a leg for gas, because my, you know, tires aren't balanced or something like that. And it hit me, man, when my tires aren't balanced, there's a bunch of things that go wrong with my whole car. I guess my question to you is, what does your life look like when it's not balanced? What, is, what do you notice? What are your warning signals? What are your dashboard signals? When you see things in your life and you're like, wow, things are not going as I planned. What, what do you see in your life when maybe work takes priority over your family or maybe money gets the best of us and we use our resources haphazardly? Maybe we kind of have a commitment to Jesus and then, you know, as life continues and school starts up again, our commitment to Jesus kind of falls back in the background. But it's easy, isn't it, for our lives to get out of balance? You look at the last year and a half, just being an American citizen, there's been plenty of opportunities to look inwardly at the things that matter to us. Our whole life kind of paused last year and then continuing to try to build back this year, we still have these tensions and these divisions and we have all these things that are coming up. 
And it's almost as if things are getting exposed in our life, but we want to put the blame on everybody else. Am I the only one? Someone tries to tell me there's something wrong with me. I'm like, there's something wrong with you for thinking that way about me. When ultimately a life that's set on the things of God is okay with looking inward before we blame outward. I think one of the ways that my marriage is still lasting after seven years, hallelujah, is that we spend more time looking at how can I get better as a spouse before I say, here's what's wrong with you. It's the same in our society. We critique everywhere else but our own lives. We don't want to contribute to certain growth, so we would rather expose things. I love to pull things apart more than I do to build them up. And if I'm honest, it's easier to pull something down than it is to build it up. What does it look like when life is out of balance? As we go into this story of Nehemiah, I'm interested in how his soul was. Because Nehemiah is getting ready to embark on a very difficult journey. The Bible says that he is getting ready to go from Persia, where he's currently a cupbearer to the king. And he's going to travel back to Jerusalem and try to get in touch with his family, his friends, his local community. And here's the thing. The people that are living in the city are used to the city being in ruins. They've grown up with their temple being destroyed. Kids have grown up, had their own families, and they've always been taught, well, that's just how the way things are around here. The Babylonians came in and they tore apart our city. They messed up our flow, and that's just the way things are. You ever have that one friend? You're like, I think things can change, and they're like, no, never. What if I told you that one friend might live in us at times? When we feel like God is telling us to build, like Nehemiah, we easily fall into, well, why? I mean... This is just how things have always been. I can imagine people in Israel at that time, they were just walking over all the broken pieces of the city. You you ever walked over broken pieces? Not like literal broken pieces, but you know, like when your life's falling apart and you kind of keep things going. You're like, you know, me and my wife are really fighting this week. We're just kind of going back, but here I am. Everything's good. You know what I mean? And I don't like my job and I'm concerned about the morals behind it. And, you know, I feel wrong about it, but you're just kind of stepping over it and just choose to look the other way. And, and, and I've noticed this, that we will never conquer something that we don't confront. Amen, somebody. Come on up. Like, I, I, I will not conquer the things that I deal with unless I confront them. Unless I say my soul is out of balance, unless I say I'm getting caught up in things that don't matter, I'm getting caught up in things that are happening out there, but I'm not taking time to ever look in here. Am I the only one? Have you ever felt like it's easier to say that's what's wrong out there instead of saying maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way? Thank goodness for Jesus. (laughs) Thank goodness for the gospel. The gospel seems to be the prescription lenses on our souls, don't they? When we don't know how to look at something, the gospel kind of reminds us, this is how you should see the situation. They're not trying to come at you. There is something just preparing you for what's next. There are things in Nehemiah that I want to get into us, and I can't help but notice Nehemiah must have had a balanced soul. In his response to the king, he, he sits down, he cries, and he prays. I mean, that might seem like weakness to some, but in scripture, the Bible tells us unless we're vulnerable with ourselves, we'll never find peace in our lives. Unless we're honest with the things that get to us, unless we assess ourselves, we, we won't actually find balance and peace in life. I think to be active in God's kingdom, you need three things to have a balanced soul. Three things that will balance our soul. Well, first of all, we need to be spiritually alive and willingly being formed. What do I mean by that? Last week, I introduced this term, spiritual formation, and I said, rather than you just learning a lot about Jesus, Jesus actually wants to form his life in you. 
Rather than us just filling our heads with knowledge about scripture and here's what I think and here's what the Bible says and one day I'm going to heaven, spiritual formation is God meets me where I'm at and then he starts to form my life like Jesus's life. That means we take on the habits of Jesus. We take on the perspective of Jesus. That means when someone's cussing you out, you take the response of Jesus. What did Jesus say? If they slap you on one cheek, turn to them the other. He's not saying let someone hit you too, by the way. A lot of people go like, oh, so Jesus is okay with me getting beat up? That's not the point he's making. He's basically saying when somebody gets what they want, always be willing to offer even more. So when we're spiritually alive, we're actually in tune to the things of God. Secondly, when we're emotionally healthy, we're available to God's call. God wants to do something in your life. And a lot of times we hear that and our emotions are unable to process how that can be. We're like, but I'm a mess. Or like, I don't like church people. Or I don't really like God. Or I don't understand things. And we try to talk ourselves out of something that God already assessed before he called us. Like, I'm not good enough to get up and preach in front of everybody. God's like, I know, I called you. I knew that when I called you. I assessed your adequacy before you even jumped up into this thing. So we have to have an emotional health that's good. And then lastly, number three, we need to be physically surrendered and committed to becoming people of love. This is a balanced soul. This is in your spirit, you're alive. Like scripture, the word, being around church community, being around just positive people. Just can we get some positive people today? Just being around positive people, it just makes your spirit come to life. And then emotionally, you don't fall apart. When stuff happens, someone checks you on something, it's, oh, man. This was always my problem in my marriage. My wife would check me on something, and I was like too sensitive. Oh, I can't believe I let you down. I'm so sorry. And just My emotions fall apart. It's like God didn't design us to be that way. He designed us to be fully integrated into who he is. And then third, we need to be physically surrendered. That means I'm willing to become more like Jesus, especially when you're building. We need a, we need a, a balanced soul. We want to cram our lives with so much. We want to cram our lives with more things to do, more things to see, and, and, and more places to be, and not knowing God is wanting us to build something. How can you build what God's calling you to if you're always going after what you feel you're called to? I am mesmerized by Nehemiah's ways in which he do, does things. Balance in his soul, I think, is seen in two places. It's seen in his inner life, and it's seen in his outer life. And is that not what make up all of us? We have an inner life. And we have an outer life. We have an interior life, how we feel, how we process things, what goes through our hearts. And then we have an exterior life, how quick we work, what we do, what do people see. Instagram helps us with this. You know, Instagram is like, here's everything that's great about me. But then over here in this corner, I'm falling apart. What if the reason why there hasn't been revival in the church is because there hasn't been health within the church? What if God's not bringing more lost people because our nets got holes in them? We're not even ready to catch them anyways. What if God is not allowing growth in certain seasons of your life because he's not sure if you're ready to receive it? You don't give car keys to a newborn and you don't give a house to someone that just got their first job. There are certain things that he prepares for us. And in many ways, we're just trying to combine what's on the inside with what's on the outside. Henry Nouwen said this about the spiritual life. He said, in many ways, that's what it's meant by the term spiritual life. It's the eternal being nurtured in the midst of the temporal. 
It is every time on the exterior somebody's falling apart, you remind yourself of your soul. I have trust in Jesus. I have trust in something bigger and something better. So let's go through these three things that Nehemiah did. And, uh, I, you know, every time we do a Bible study, I try my best to, like, study and put time into it and actually, like, make it worth something that will help you. But I couldn't get out of this one verse for today's points because I just kept meditating on verse 4 and just kind of going through it over and over again. Nehemiah says, as soon as I heard it, I sat down, I wept, I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying. I believe in, in that one verse are three things that we can do to bring balance to our souls. I think that every problem we experience in life has something, not everything, something to do with our interior life how we respond, how we hear it, what we think that matters, the assumptions we make. So the balanced soul does three things. Number one, first thing he does is he sat down. He sat down. Balance comes when we take time to actually evaluate where we currently are. My wife and I, you know, we love to shop and we, you know, we've always kind of like gone to different places and, you know, we go and buy like a t-shirt, but we'll be like, hey, we came to this city, we checked out this mall, this was awesome. And so my wife is, uh, she's normal for this. We go into uh, malls and she just disappears. Like she's like, I think she tries to run away. You know what I mean? Like we go into Forever 21 or something and she's gone. You know, so one time I lost her in the mall and I just remember I was like, fine, I'm gonna let her do her thing walking around. And I just walked around, I did a few shops and then I kind of, First time in the mall, so I really wasn't sure where I was. And like by the second time around JCPenney, I was like, hey, this is wrong. Something's off. So I go to that little directory, you know what I'm talking about? And that directory tells you the stores you want to go to. What good is it to know the stores you want to go to if you first don't locate the little, sometimes big red dot that says what? You are here. So until we can name where we are in our spiritual life, we will not get to the places that we want to go. I want to grow in the things of God. I want to get more in tune with who he is, more in tune with his spirit, find emotional health for my own soul. But until I say, you know, I'm not there, he's not going to take me there. Humility is the prerequisite to growth in Jesus. It allows you to say, I'm not where I want to be, so I'm willing to be shaped and moved and gone with him. Our lives are often moving too fast for the things of God, that we don't slow down long enough to even be with him. It was N.T. Wright that famously said, it's only when you slow your life down that you catch up with God. What does he mean by that? He means we're going so fast onto the next thing, phones in our faces, got appointments, got stuff to do, that it's not until we actually sit and allow him to speak with us, talk with us, sometimes just be with us, that we actually encounter who he is. Mother Teresa said, God is a friend of silence. What does that mean? <laughs> He's a friend of silence. It means that when we are doing less talking, he is able to be more present. He is able to be in our lives. In the world of digital distraction, as you know, in America, the average of 5.4 hours a day we spend on our smartphones. That's an average, five hours a day just on that. How could we try now to give God a little bit more time just to be with us. If you're thinking a little too much of this, I want to show you something. Jesus said this, Luke chapter 5, Jesus had this great rhythm in his prayer life. It says this, Jesus often went away to other places to be alone so that he could pray. This was common in Jesus' life. He would do a miracle, like a sick person would come out. They'd be like, Jesus, he's sick. Can you heal him? Jesus is like, I'm Jesus. Of course I can heal him. Bam, he's healed. You know what I mean? And then he would retreat to the mountains and he would spend time with God. 
And he would come down, he would hang out with his disciples, and they'd be like, hey, this little girl has died. Would you raise her from the dead? And he'd raise her from the dead, and the Bible says he would go alone and be with God. What's the principle? Every time he had a great victory, he would take time to rest. Every time that there was something that he succeeded in, he took time to care for his soul. Because what good is it to have all the things in the world, but on the inside there's no peace, there's no joy, there's no intimacy with God. Jesus often withdrew and went to places to be alone so he could watch Netflix. So he could text his friends. No, he was just intentional with, I'm going to go and be with God. Waiting to pray is like waiting to fill up your gas tank. You know, you know when your gas tank is like on E and you start getting more and more anxious the lower it gets? And then you start calculating how many gas stations are close to where I'm at. And then if there's not a gas station, you start getting nervous. Why do we allow our souls to go on empty, but we don't freak out like we do when our cars are almost on empty? Why do we keep going through everyday life when we're depleted on the inside? Friends, I'm begging you. It is not weakness to just sit down sometimes and just take a second to breathe. My pastor taught me how to pray, and I was never really a, I was never, I don't want to say there's a way to be good or bad at praying, but I never felt like I was good at prayer, if that makes any sense. Like my pastor would tell these stories, he'd be like, you know, I got up at four in the morning, I was praying in the spirit. I was like, I don't think Jesus is awake at four in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, that's awesome for you, but I, I, I don't get that. And so he, he would tell me, he would say, you have to look at prayer not as an action, but as a relationship. Prayer is not a technique you master. It's not like, I know I need to pray, our Father in heaven. Like, it's not something you just master. It's something that you designate and say, for the next 10 minutes, I'm just going to sit here, I'm going to play this worship song, and I'm just going to take some deep breaths. That is just as much as prayer as it is for someone who gets up at 4 in the morning and prays in the Spirit for all these things. Well, what if I get distracted, Billy? I want to have a balanced soul. I want to take time to pray and what if I get distracted? Can I say this? When I'm in prayer and I get distracted, which is like every time, like I get in prayer and I'm like, Father, I want to pray for gospel church today. I want to lift them up to you. I lift up this person. You know, matter of fact, I got to call that person now and figure out this. And I'm here though with you, Father. And, you know, and, and it's easy to get distracted and beat ourselves up. Like, I don't know how to pray. But a hundred distractions in prayer is a hundred opportunities to come back to Jesus and say, even when I'm distracted, God, you love me. Even when I'm lost and trying to articulate it and make it all about my words, you're still with me. Health comes when we sit, slow down long enough to hear from God. Number two, second thing did Nehemiah did, I'm gonna hurry here, is he wept and he mourned. He wept and he mourned. Let's talk about the power of tears and anguish. There is a biblical principle that when prophets would cry, it was a vulnerability that they would give to God. It's like you can fake it with anybody else in life, but the only one that actually knows all of you is God. You can play pretend with your spouse. You can play pretend with me. You can play pretend with church people. It's easy to be like, everything's great. Good to see you. God knows how you really feel. And for some reason, when Nehemiah heard the news about his community, it just says he sat and he cried. We've been taught to avoid tears. We've been taught to avoid emotions. We've been taught to kind of push those off to the side and let's solve the problem as quick as possible. But for some reason, Nehemiah wants us to know, I just sat there and I cried about the situation. Maybe you're not a crier. That's okay. At least there's a vulnerability that comes to you. And it reminds you that you're not in control. You know what vulnerability does? It reminds us that we don't control our lives. 
Vulnerability allows us to stop trying to make something of ourselves and say, God, I can't do it without you. Nehemiah's tears, he starts crying. It wasn't because he felt bad. Nehemiah started crying because his tears were connected to the entire city that he was from. You ever judge someone's response and then get upset about their responding like, oh, they're making such a big deal about this. This is this little issue. Go ahead and cry me a river. You know, you're over here wanting a whole thing around the thing. And it's easy to judge someone's tears without knowing the people group or the city that those tears are connected to. I mean, we're all experiencing that this year, whether it's our jobs, whether it's how the state is being ran, all this stuff. It's easy to say, well, you're just freaking out about this one thing, not knowing that, no, he's freaking out because his job is connected to his family, which is connected to his legacy, which is connected to his way of life. So it's easy to say, oh, don't make a big deal about that. Not knowing that that action is connected to somebody. Nehemiah wept, and then he started just praying to God about it. Look what he prays a few verses later. He says this, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant. He continues and he he repents of sin. He confesses the sin of his fathers. And he even says, even I and my father's house has sinned. So he ain't trying to excuse himself from it. He's over there repenting. He's saying, God, my father's messed up and they didn't worship you properly. And that's why the temple got ransacked. And he says, and even I have sinned. So we don't find how good we are by pointing out how bad someone else is. Can I say that again? This is a common way of finding meaning and value in today's society. You want to have a life that's purposeful? Yes. You want to have a life that's meaningful? Absolutely. Just tear down someone else and you'll get there overnight. That is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to be silent. Let stuff happen. You do you, boo. You focus on you. You just do what you got to do. Let God be God. Nehemiah says, I'm going to include myself in this. Because repentance is a beautiful thing in prayer. Have have anyone ever heard the words like, you know, you sin or repent? And we see repentance as such a negative. and has this like, oh, repent. How dare you tell me to repent? The Greek word metaneo simply means to turn. Repentance means turn and to change your mind. What a beautiful thing to do every time you come to prayer, to change your mind. Oftentimes I come into prayer wanting to talk a bunch of smack about somebody to God. Like, you don't know what they did. You don't know what they did. And then once I realize I can repent, I say, you know what, God, that's not their fault at all. Wow, I can't control their reactions. I can't control their schedule. I can't control what they do. We're able to turn and find beauty in repentance. So Nehemiah wept and he mourned. And the last thing, number three, as I close, he continued fasting and praying. He continued fasting and praying. A word on each. He did three things here. He continued fasting and praying. First, he continued. Can we talk about endurance within our faith? We have a mindset of that every Sunday kind of comes around. I don't know about you. I love Sundays. Sundays are an awesome day for me. I get up early, get time with Jesus, you know, get time with my daughter, come over here like 730, drop all the equipment off. Our setup team gets here at 8, start building it. Sundays are awesome, awesome, awesome for me. But it's easy to just get in the rhythm of Sundays being your fill up. And like if you get to like Friday and you're having a bad week, you're like, man, I hope Sunday would come quicker. Here's the thing. Jesus has given us a way of living that we can access him at any time. Endurance is possible in your life. You can push through. One of the fruits of the spirit is long suffering. So so the Bible talks about these fruits of the Spirit. When you're in relationship with the Holy Spirit, these things are produced in your life. 
joy, peace, love, long-suffering, meaning we're able to hold on when things aren't changing, meaning we're able to find stability when everything else in life is not stable. Relationship with the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about like a ooh, 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 goose, you know, ghost kind of thing. I'm talking about relationship with the person that is the Holy Spirit. Someone said, you know, the Holy Spirit, it's a weird thing. I said, first of all, he's not an it, he's a person. God the Father walked with Adam and Eve and Moses and the prophets. Jesus walked with the disciples, Peter and James. The Holy Spirit walks with us today. Because Jesus ain't here. The Spirit of Jesus is here. Don't crucify me here. Like, but the Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. So we need the Holy Spirit to make it through seasons where we're up and down. Look at verse eight, Nehemiah still praying. He says this, he says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. In other words, because I'm here praying, let me remind my soul of what God has done before. You wanna know how to get through the next big challenge? Remind yourself of the last one you got through. You wanna know how to find healthy relationships? Recall in your mind the last healthy relationship you had and seek out individuals like that. Okay, he continued. And then he fasted, which is an intentional denial of himself. And then he prayed. A word on fasting. Fasting freaks a lot of people out because we have to stop eating. And I love to eat, y'all. But there's something about intentionally denying what you want to try to make space for what God is trying to do. Are you with me? So you, you can fast social media at night. Maybe on Sunday nights, you don't go to bed on Facebook. Maybe you go to bed just on a Bible app or you go to bed with nothing. You know what I mean? Like maybe you just go to bed. You know, what a concept. Like, like you know, like maybe instead of every night I'm committing to this, it's like, let me just start with once a week. I'm going to clear that out of my head and see if God does something. Because we will not get different results with the same habits. We won't get anything different in our life in a result way without the same habits. And for me, y'all, it's prayer. If I could give you one thing that the Lord's been dealing with me on, it's how to pray. It's what prayer is, why it matters, how it can change your life. Just being present to God's presence can change your life. I'm not talking about like, let me sit here and talk to him. I'm saying if his presence is here, am I present to that? Am I aware? that like even this morning for someone in this room, even this morning was more difficult than you imagined it would be. Am I present to the fact that God cares about my morning? Am I present to this song we were singing earlier, To Worship You I Live? It wasn't just a moment for you to just sit and kind of watch, but like maybe God wants that to be a song of your life that like you've been created to worship. It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to be anything else because you were designed to worship God. And I don't get it sometimes, I don't understand it sometimes, but I just need to be in his presence. I need to hit play on the song, or I need to open the Bible, or I need to tell my friend, can you call me and just pray with me? Like, I need to get something in me. Because prayer is a life that is marked by self-awareness and openness to what the Holy Spirit's doing. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I'm gonna close, true prayer is measured by weight, not by length. True prayer is measured by weight, not by length. True prayer, prayer that moves the heart of God, prayer that makes you go, I care about your guys' home. 
I care about what the devil's been trying to do in your kids. I care about how you've been triggered politically when you see something. I care about that, but I want you to talk to me about it. So God, you go to God and you're like, I'm here to talk about this thing, God. So what do you want me to say? Spurgeon said, it's measured by the weight of how much it matters to you, not by how much you say. So one, prayer, one word of honesty moves the heart of God more than a million prayers of, of superficiality. Everything's fine, Jesus. Would you bless my friends? They really need you. One word of honesty. I'm broken, God. I'm jealous. I'm insecure. I'm afraid. I want to ask the pastor a question, but I don't know how to. And as all these things that we just let surface up here. What if today you could say, I have balance because I'm going to be true and be honest when I'm in prayer. He says, a single groan before God will have more fullness of prayer than a fine oration of great length. Nehemiah heard the news of what was broken and he sat down, he wept and he prayed. He sat down, he slowed his life down. I know it's a small town, but what if the Lord's been wanting to slow our lives down just so we can focus on him a little more? Not out of like a guilt thing, like, come on, snap it together. I've, I've been in church settings where that's the tone of the thing. It's like, you know, you can do better. And the reality is I can't. The good news of Jesus is that I can't do anything of my own accord. The good news of Jesus is not you're going to heaven because of Jesus. It's you can keep succeeding in life because of him. We put too much pressure on ourselves, friends. If I'm saved by grace, I can only be sustained by it. And my hope is that as a church community, we would start building in people, disciples, people that want to follow Jesus, not just claim a belief system. Oh, I feel that. God is raising up a church of disciples, people that love him and love his people. And we're not here just to fluff things up. We're here to commit to his way. I prayed for someone this past week, just kind of walking down the street. And they said, you know, I probably won't come to your church still. And I said, you know, I, I just, just we touched heaven right now. He looked at me like, oh, I was like, no, right on this sidewalk, we touched heaven. I prayed for you. The power of God touched your life. I go, you don't need to come to my church. It would be great if you did. But at the end of the day, my responsibility is not to get someone to a church. My responsibility is to influence them for Jesus, to influence them for his way, his way of thinking, his way of living. I might not have everything I need. I might not be able to say it the right way, but all I can tell them is, you know, there's a better way. May we be people that never go too fast that we miss out on what God's doing in the here and now. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that when we slow our lives down, we can catch up to you. Today, I pray for anyone in the room it feels like their life is crammed with things that don't matter. Maybe like Nehemiah, they've got a big contract in front of them. They've got a big project in front of them. Lord, would you prepare their soul today so when they get there, they're ready. Thank you for the good news of Jesus. Oh, without him doing what he did, we will not be who we are. We thank you that he died for us, that he paid a price for us, but actually he wants to influence our life here and now. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you're here and you're like, man, I just, I wanna start somewhere. Friend, look no further than the gospel. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, and whoever would believe in him and put faith in him would have eternal life. 
If you're here and you say, I don't have that peace, I don't have that life, I want to give you a chance to do that now. And it's as simple as praying this prayer and committing to this way. And if that's you, just by an act of faith, would you open your eyes and look at me? If that's you, you say, I want to be included in that prayer today. Just like I need Jesus today. I need him in my life. I need him focused on me. I need to commit to his way. Come on, can we pray this? Would you say, dear God, thank you for your son, Jesus. I believe he died for me. So today I live for him. May this be the beginning of the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Church, can we put our hands together for the three people that gave their lives to the Lord today? Uh if you did make that decision, our hospitality team would love to welcome you after church. Um, back there by the Believe Belong banner at the tables there, we'll have some of our team. And if you want to learn more about the church, maybe you want to ask some questions, I'll be back there. If you want to join a volunteer team, you can do that as well. Um, we would love just to have you a part of this journey. Our, our grand opening is going to be on January 23rd. And uh, we're at the Dunkirk Movieplex right here by the Thruway. So we're excited, y'all telling you, you know, we're going to get the place cleaned. We're having our own sanitation company come in and we're going to make sure it's sprayed every week. And someone told me they're like, you know, that theater, that thing, you know, I don't know if I want to go there. And I just said, listen, there's enough seats for as many people God's going to bring. All right. That's all I care about, you know, but we will, uh, we'll have COVID precautions in place. We'll have extra seating necessary. You know, they've got a main theater and they've got a theater right next to it. So we might stream in the second theater and that'd be a COVID friendly space, but we'll keep you posting all of it. Um, if you're not connected, give us your email or something and we'll let you know when we're there and it'd be good. Come on. Can we all stand real quick? I want to dismiss with our time of generosity. And um, as you know, we've been raising money this the last months just to get ready for launch. We have purchased about 50% of our equipment for launch. And so that's awesome. We can clap our hands for that. <laughs> you know, I moved here. We moved here. We knew two people. You know, sometimes I just got to stop and remind myself, like, God's doing something. You know, we emptied out our bank account the first couple months we were here. And now, like, we're buying equipment. We got a new camera. You know, we got walls. We got kids stuff coming in. And sometimes you just got to stop and just say, man, if it had not been for him, where would we be? Um, I want to encourage you in your giving, though. Zech, uh, Zechariah has a scripture here, chapter 9, where he says, Do not despise the days of small beginnings. And he says, I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. And so I, I want to celebrate you. You're a part of the opening year of our church. Don't despise what is small now because God's making big deposits in each one of you. Families are changing. Kids are being brought back to the things of God. School systems are going to improve. Local, local, the, the, the tension between Fredonia and Dunkirk, that's going to be gone. I just believe that the Lord is doing so much. But don't despise the day of small beginnings. Uh, on your way out today, there's a generosity box. If you feel led, go ahead and give. No pressure. If today was your first time, we just want you to come back. Try us again next week, and uh, we'll look forward to having you with us. All right. Um, would you stretch your hands for the blessing? I feel prompting to bless you today. Numbers chapter 6 said any time that the people would gather, Moses would bless them. And uh, it was just words that meant something. And so may the Lord bless you this week. May he cause his face to shine upon you. 
May this week your soul find balance. May your emotions find stability. May your spirit become alive. May the Lord prompt you to grow in the things of God. May he connect you with broken people that need a touch from God. Yes, invite people to church, but also be ready just to love someone where they're at. We bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week.